Hello and welcome to Adventures with ADHD, where we shine the spotlight on fabulous neurodivergent folk. And today I've got Nikki back with me again. Um, she just can't keep away, which is I wonderful <laughs> because she has so many interesting things to talk about. Um, today's session, today's podcast, YouTube program is going to be slightly different we are just going to free flow and talk and see what happens with us talking you never know what comes up isn't that right Nikki um yes so I maybe apologize in advance for anything that might come out <laughs> <laughs> so um we let's get let's get to a start Nikki it's nearly a year since you've been diagnosed uh, is that correct yeah it is in February at the start of February it'll be a year um and I, in some respects it seems like it was only yesterday and in others like like there's so much that's changed and so much that's kind of happened um but yeah to kind of reach that year point has been quite incredible it's it's the year point for my um ADHD diagnosis so I had my ADHD diagnosis in February last year and um we talked about this before didn't we so I had kind of gone along it, expecting the ADHD diagnosis and the psychiatrist I had was just the loveliest sweetest man and very kindly explained to me um that he believed I was also autistic right and was referring me for full ASD assessment and that really knocks me for six because I hadn't really even considered that I suppose I just you know the words ADHD had been said to me I'd gone down a rabbit hole and hyper focused and researched ADHD, ADHD but not not autism um and so that was really hard to process and then I was actually really lucky so my my ADHD assessment I had through an NHS partner but paid privately but my autism assessment actually went by the NHS and I was told it was a three to four year wait and at, at that point I thought I don't know if I want to go through full diagnosis yeah. but I thought I've got some time to decide and then I was fast-tracked and so that referral went through eventually in the April from my GP and by mid-August I'd been through all of the NHS assessment for autism and been told I was moderately autistic. Uh, so I almost didn't have time to stop and think about do oh. I want the diagnosis because the wheels were in motion so quickly and it was it's really challenging because it was like this huge relief of oh my goodness I get it like my whole life suddenly started to make sense and fall into place but then I was just filled with this deep kind of sadness and confusion and a little bit of me was like how how did I not know and how did people around me not know yeah and then you unravel the masking don't you like you've like you know you're way way further down the the diagnosis and experience line than I am but it is isn't it? it's a real I kind of light bulb moment yeah, and I think you you do ask yourself, how did I not know? How do, do people around me not know? And the masking, I think, is is such a massive part of mm. it. And for those of you that are not sure what mar the term masking is, it's kind of covering up your true self in order to fit in, isn't it? So if if you're bothered, really bothered by sounds, kind of not not speaking up and saying that's too loud for me. Um, mm carrying on as if everything's okay I mean what are your um thoughts on masking look, we've got oh. a little we've got a little bomber we've got a hello hello oh look at him oh <laughs> and he's gone. Maverick just came in to say hello 
Um, yeah, I think the masking thing for me was really interesting and being able to kind of stop and reflect on like so many areas of my life and the the kind of the extent I'd gone to to appear what I considered was socially acceptable or normal um you know and I think that this is like a multitude of topics in itself isn't it like the whole masking yeah. thing but I look back to the socializing element when I was younger so I you know I was thinking well, you know, I used to go out drinking. I used to go to nightclubs. I used to go to festivals and I used to go out with friends. But when I stopped to reflect, I'm like, but I was drunk. So what, and I would, I would drink before I went anywhere because to be able to cope with that busy, noisy, intoxicating environment, I had to numb a bit to it. And I also, you know, that's a real realization of where being autistic and ADHD can be like living with two different people. Like you have, we've talked about this before, you have that impulsive like, yeah, I want to do it. And it, this is so exciting I'm, and I'm all over it. And that's the ADHD like, woohoo, I'm up for anything. So I'd have a drink, go out, be challenged to a dare, like I could never say no to a dare. And fueled by alcohol and lack of inhibition, I would do it. Yeah. So I have that, like, I always think that's ADHD me. But then I have autistic me that hates noise, hates being around people, needs routine. Like, you know, I can't go to a restaurant without knowing, well, to be honest, I don't like going anywhere because I need to know what the setup is. How do I get out? What food will I eat? What will I order? I'm a classic of going somewhere and trying to nonchalantly go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to have. <laughs> Having been online and studied that menu, like, and probably phoned the restaurant to, to check what they've got. But but then, you know, it's that kind of tear between impulsivity and excitement and the need for routine and sameness and knowing what's going to happen, which then triggered loads of anxiety. And um, so I know that you're also autistic ADHD. So do you have that kind of battle almost with those two parts of you? Yeah, I mean, I did for a long time. Like you said, I've been diagnosed for over 10 years now, but your story of going out was it's just my story too and I'm sure so many others you know yeah I'm up for it I'm going out woohoo <laughs> I was undiagnosed and unmedicated um I'm not medicated now but I was for a while um so yeah the the alcohol was kind of a boost it was fun but it was also a form of self-medication which is why so many neurodivergent people do have um drug and alcohol yeah. addictions you can see how it happens can't you yeah. um and then I would be it would numb the noise and everything um and what I really noticed was because I used to be much more hyperactive so the more I drank the more I could kind of focus and not be bored do you know what I mean so it was kind yeah. of drinking yourself into oblivion which is yeah. not great <laughs> You know? No, and I used to be like, go big or go home. That's what, you know, I was, and I never have been like a social drinker. So I'd never sit at home on my own and have a drink. I was, but if I went out, you know, I would typically go out. I would have drinks before I went out. Um, but it was just such that kind of, you know, I look back at all the situations I was in and I, you know, my best friend at, at the time. So when I was kind of in my, I guess, late teens, early twenties, my best friend was a guy. And now I look back on our friendship and I can see the chances are that he was probably 
also very similar to me because we really were both quite happy to kind of burrow ourselves away and be in our own little world but to go out we would have a drink and then we would be like the life and soul of the party when we were out and then filled with all this kind of regret and confusion the next day because you're so out of your routine and you don't really remember what happened and you don't really understand the interactions or the boundaries of and I don't know if you found this, of what's acceptable and what isn't. So sometimes some of the things that I would do impulsively were quite extreme, like quite larger than life. But then I would have that feeling of other people don't seem to do that or they're shocked by my behaviour and they think it's funny. But then in my head, I'm like, it would be a confusion of where are the boundaries? Like what is a real friendship? What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Which spiralled that part and actually could lead to a lot of anxiety. Did you ever find that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I kind of, I've always been a sensation seeker. So when I did silly things and everyone laughed, I kind of liked that and got, and liked that feedback. Um, I can't think of anything specific. I'm sure something will come that I've done. Um, but there is confusion as well. The next day, like, oh my God, what did I do? Why did I do that? Why did I feel the need to go yeah. that far? And it is, it's a vulnerable place as well. That's, you know, people are vulnerable, um, even if they appear very able and articulate. Yeah. There's a real vulnerability there, which people don't see. And I think that's a really key point, isn't it? Because I think on that vulnerability aspect, I mean, I look back over friendships, but I think particularly relationships where, you know, I would... I would try so hard to be the version of myself that somebody else needed from me. And I, and I obviously reflected sort of since my diagnosis and I look back through past relationships where I've essentially had quite controlling relationships with men. I was in a relationship with a narcissist for about 18 months. And because it's almost like you're a magnet for people that can spot those vulnerabilities and take advantage of them and gaslight you and, and kind of lead you to believe like you're that version of you isn't good enough and because you you're not really being your true self it's very I found it very hard to actually relax and be who I wanted to be and who I really was in a relationship but it just seemed to attract people that would take advantage of those those vulnerabilities yeah and I think the kind of people pleasing not feeling good enough is what you know I've had some relationships where the other person was was cheating yeah didn't have the hard evidence but you when you know you know and, and yeah. when someone tells you as well yeah. um and they still deny it but because I had such low self-worth I was like well this is all I deserve I'll stay with her um which now I'm like what but yeah. when your self-worth is so low um you don't stay but I guess it's stay just kind of hearing you say that it's also that part where because you're trying to be what you think is the perfect version of yourself and and what that other person wants or needs from you if that's not good enough how will the real version of you ever be good enough like you've tried your heart you've put everything into being this you know ideal person for your partner and I think this this goes into friendships as well like you try everything you possibly can to be that version and if that's not good enough you know, I've certainly had that, wow, like if they actually knew what I was really like, <laughs> that's a whole new level of rejection, um, which 
which then layers that need to kind of mask and people please because then the next time I've certainly found this I'm in a situation with um in a relationship or you know some friendships I tried that extra bit harder to both mask and please and it's I think over a period of time it just compounds itself does and it's so sad like when you look back now isn't it and well for me looking back and realizing what's happened throughout my lifetime because you know we've grown up with Mm, autism and ADHD and not even known um I've been doing a lot of healing and grieving this past couple of months actually where it suddenly really hit me like oh wow because I thought life was always supposed to be hard and if it wasn't hard, then it wasn't worth doing, you know? So to realise that that's not the case, that's a lot, a lifetime of struggle, a lifetime of fun and adventures, of course. Yeah. But really quite sad at the moment. And it's having discussions like this kind of highlights, doesn't it? The real, true vulnerabilities in friendships and relationships. Yeah. And I mean, that's amazing that like even so sort of far on after your diagnosis that you can still have these realizations as new experience come up and you start to kind of dig a bit deeper, don't you? And just think, where does that where does that all start and how is it compounded? And then how do you unravel that and learn, learn a new truth and a new way of being, which makes you vulnerable again? Yeah. Because you you kind of putting forward a different, a truer version of yourself. And I guess like we'll probably both look in five years time and that will be a, an even more authentic version of ourselves because there's so much, you know, I'm 47. So there's so much to kind of unpick and unravel. And I still don't trust myself in friendships or relationships. So I've been single really for three years so I was with somebody in prior to the pandemic um but we didn't see each other through the pandemic so I'd say it's two years but tr- really three because we didn't see them I've got no desire to go back to dating so I'm like I don't know who this true version of myself is and how I show up in a relationship but with friendships as well like I look at how you know I've tried to be again the version of myself that other people I think other people want and what that attracts typically is people that take. So they're not interested in a two-way friendship. You know, I would see them and all they ever talk about is their own problems. And you feel like you give and you give and you give. And then what I've realised I've done all of my life is I do that. I always say, like the little puppy dog bounding along, just kind of going, yeah, 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 take, you know, take whatever you want from me. But then when there is nobody on the other end, when I've needed it, it's like a you know a puppy dog that puts its its feet in the ground and skids to a halt and goes no and because I've never understood the boundaries like having boundaries for me it then becomes a light switch goes off so I'm like I can't have you in my life like I I've got the rules wrong I don't understand what the rules are yeah they're not what I thought they are so I would exit so yeah. so I'm kind of at a point that where I'm learning a year into like being you know with my diagnosis how to create boundaries and how to show up at, with with this massive vulnerable fear of rejection because if I show up as me which I've never done before what happens if that's not good enough mm. yeah and I mean that's the sort of thing you know good enough for who who is who is the person to be good enough for 
yeah and of course it's ourselves isn't it but when you've lived with kind of you know I, I guess I haven't really reflected on whether had I have known earlier would my path have been different and that's impossible mm. to know isn't it but I think now that I know you can't un I can't unknow it which is great but it, it is that unpicking so much to so you can start to kind of move forward in a really positive way and that's for me when I was really lucky that you were recommended to me as my coach very early in my diagnosis like six weeks after I was diagnosed I think and so you've been like a huge help for me to kind of come to terms with the diagnosis and to unpick a lot of this stuff and it's and I love that we I can say things to you and we can talk about things and there's no like there's no judgment like yeah. I, I mean, we've had so many conversations where I'll say something or we'll do something that is now I know very classically my autism or an ADHD and you get it and that's yeah. been such a safe space for me yeah yeah what was it um we were talking about having well we were arranging a coaching session and you said oh I'll do it I think we were doing a podcast e episode on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, oh, we can do the coaching session on the Friday as well. And I was like, oh, no, I only do fun stuff on a Friday. And then I was like, oh, sorry, that sounded a bit mean. And you were like, no, it's great. It's great. But someone else might have been like, well, that's not very nice. Oh, they're so rude. But you get but it. I just laughed because I was like, how classic because that's the sort of thing I would say or do and we just had that ongoing kind of like well not on a Friday because that's a fun day yeah. as if to say like we never had any fun when we spoke but it's <laughs> yeah. not and I and I think you just have that kindness and empathy don't you both to yourself and others yeah. and you and I found that like with other people that I now either know are autistic or and or ADHD or I believe to be and I just have that that softness it's almost what what was irritating in me or in other people previously becomes endearing because you just think I so get you like that's that's such a lovely quirk yeah um that knowing definitely brings that I think yeah and a level well you know this is to work on but um that self-acceptance and self-compassion I'm gonna say things that come out wrong you know yeah. they're not they're not intended wrong they're not intended to offend and that's what I always go back to like you know if I think oh my god that was a bit offensive um actually where did I where am I coming from I'm coming from a kind place so with yeah. that self-compassion come you've got to look at where you were coming from um because we can be so hard on ourselves can't we and and your comedy improv like really helped. Shall I share that story? The story after we had that oh, comedy improv. Please this do. Is one I, of my, like, oh. I mean, talk about like so so uh, that comedy improv session was amazing for me because I'm like I'm somebody that if I if I've got to go somewhere, I'll plan out what I might say. Let me just um interrupt. So for those of you that are listening and haven't seen the comedy improv special. <laughs> do watch it because Nikki allowed me to teach her to do improv she'd never done it before no. um I mean how brave is that allow me to teach it and then show it to the world and um well Nikki's gonna tell you what happened after she learned improv 
I'm not sure the I'm not really sure the world would thank me for what I took away from it. I was a little overzealous um, in putting it into practice, but it was so empowering because and and I and I'd always thought and I said this to you like when I when I kind of knew that you were a coach and you did comedy improv, I remember thinking how how I couldn't put my head sort of around how that would help um, <laughs> uh, with my like autism and ADHD, but totally lent into it when you said like let's do it. Oh my goodness. So if I go into any social situation or any environment, really, I like to know who's going to be there. And I will almost rehearse conversations in my head that might happen. And if I go to places and those topic of conversations come up or I'm asked something that I'm not comfortable with, I would usually do one of two things. I would usually um, exit to the toilet or I would blurt something out that was not relevant and usually highly inappropriate. And then I would feel awkward and everyone else would feel awkward and we'd all just stand there and look at each other and I, I would exit to the toilet. So that, you know, that either way, it wasn't a good situation. So when we did the comedy improv, I was like, this is amazing. Like this really enables me to realise I can listen and respond and it's fine. Like how wrong can I be? Um, so our comedy improv session was hilarious and it was so freeing. And um, and I typically, if, I go, if I'm out and about, I usually phone my mum because if I'm on the phone to my mum, I can't stop for small talk. Small talk makes me cringe. If I see somebody and I've got to have an awkward exchange, I don't want to do it. And so I phone my mum a lot. And then I, we'd had our, our improv session. I'm out walking in, this is in the summer one morning, and I see my friend and his wife and I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, Mum, I'm I'm just seeing a friend. I'm going to go. So I hang up the phone and I see my friend and his wife. I'm like, Hi, and they <laughs> say to me, Oh, this is lovely. It's like in the Mediterranean. Everyone's out and about really early in the morning. We got really early. We've come for a walk. What came out of my mouth was, well, I've been up since three thirty because my next door neighbour's got a new girlfriend that thinks she's a low budget porn star, and they were up having sex all night. I see the look of horror particularly on his wife's face but that awkward moment I don't stop there I think they need more information <laughs> so I start to do impressions of the noises that she was making as a low budget porn star um I don't know where I got this from because I don't watch porn alone <laughs> low budget porn but those were the words that come out of my mouth with a little impression of what was going on and I could, and as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, shut up, sh just stop, talk stop talking, stop talking. And it, I kind of came to the end of my little, you know, storytelling. And they just kind of went, right, yeah, so like, really good to see you. Have a good day. Oh, like, <laughs> and parted company. And so usually if I, like pre-diagnosis and pre-us kind of doing, doing that kind of improv, I would have been mortified and I would probably have got home and multiple texts to my friend going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I don't like, I was tired. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I walked home laughing my head off. I was like, that is genius. I'm like, I didn't hurt anybody. I My intention was good. I wanted to stop <laughs> small talk. I'm a bit crap at it. But I thought I threw myself into like with all of the enthusiasm yeah. that maybe shouldn't have been there. But it was so freeing to um, to kind of then go, it wasn't an ideal conversation in the first experience, but I was so kind to myself and I laughed. And then I texted you, didn't I? I said, oh my goodness, I, oh, took, I, mean... I took this improv <laughs> way <laughs> too far. <laughs> but I mean... it was amazing. And, you know, there's, 
the whole thing is amazing. The fact that you said, right, mum, I've seen someone and then you were kind of happily, this was after a 20-minute improv session, yeah. you know, happily go and talk to these, your friend. Then all that came out of your mouth, which is pretty hilarious. But, like, the, I think the real key is you were felt free to do it yeah. and you didn't beat yourself up. This is part of how you get to a really good place, isn't it? So what's changed for you now in terms of not having, you know, beating yourself up and stuff? Not literally. I think, well, actually, you say not literally, because just on a really quick side note from that, in the last year, I'm just trying to think, have I had any autistic and adhd meltdowns so so what would happen before is i would have a have meltdowns and i would hit myself i think i've said so i and this is me being really honest because it's not something i've really openly shared but for me to deal with that that um burnout and overwhelm i would often just repeatedly hit myself in the head until that tension had gone yeah. i've not done that i have had burnout in that i've been exhausted and i have felt really overwhelmed but it hasn't got to that point because because I have that knowledge and that kindness and understanding, I can put things in place that support me better now. So I'll recognize the burnout and take some time off. I will do something that feeds my soul or makes me feel good and relaxed. Um, but there are so many things I think that have changed and that self-compassion and that self-kindness and the ability to when i for, so when i do something so there's been there's a couple of things like if i say something to somebody that might actually they might take offense at mm. i will sometimes say what i'm going to say and just say look i'm re i really hope this comes across okay i'm autistic and sometimes i don't quite put things in a way that i received well but my intention is always good so please feel free to challenge me or or ask me a question in a different way that's been really good because I, because I felt like I'm looking after myself and I take away that kind of if somebody is stung by something I say that's quite blunt or direct mm. um it's almost it's just that openness and I think like we've talked about this before, I had major spinal surgery last June and I went into that completely differently because I could explain my needs. I could talk very openly. I felt like I was being cared for because I was understood. And if something came up for me, I could advocate for myself much better. Um, there have been lots of imperfect moments, but it's, and this is all like really big learnings. Um, but it is really that self-compassion, self-kindness, in some ways boundaries, but I'm probably not there with that yet because what I've done is created a very, very insular world. Um, and there's lots for me to still work on and grieve and process, but it's been such a positive experience having a diagnosis. And I, you know, I, I know we, we talked about in one of the, I think it was the first episode, wasn't sure if I wanted a diagnosis. Yeah um but actually for me it really really helped it really helped give me the clarity um and the ability to start 
to look at what I need, what I truly, truly need and who I really am. And that is very much, I'm very much at the start of that journey. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of reflection, grieving, healing. And then it happens over and over again. I think, you know, like I say, 10 years on and I've, I've been working with a coach. She's a kind of spiritual business coach and mentor. Um, and she's helped me so much to get to a place of vulnerability where I can mm. address what's what's gone on. I kind of think I covered everything up pretty well with humour for my whole life. <laughs> but now I'm kind of doing using the humour, still doing comedy. You know, that's part of who I am and what yeah. I do in a different way not to cover up but to start to unpeel layers I hate the word peel it makes me feel sick but um how did you feel when you got your diagnosis well it's a long time ago but um kind of and I'd been researching five years prior so I'd kind of accepted like self-diagnosed although yeah. that wasn't um was it, that was a bit frowned upon back in the day, especially by the professionals, which probably still is, to be honest. But um, so I'd done five years of research before I'd even plucked up the courage to go for an assessment. So by the time I'd got there, I, you know, um, I was hugely relieved. Yeah. Um, and just I think understanding and is key to acceptance. You don't know what your needs are until you start looking to who you yeah. truly are do you so it's been a real experience and I've only weirdly enough I've only started talking about it the last couple of years so I kind of kept it to myself so there was probably an element of shame well not shame so much but I was I had this big fear of judgment so my yeah. fear was I'll say and we've had this conversation yeah I'm ADHD and autistic oh, you can't be, you don't do this, you don't. So that stopped yeah. sharing. I'm now a different person and, you know, I'll say it. And if somebody says that to me, I'll kind of try not to get annoyed and explain to them that there isn't a look. It's an invisible yeah. condition to an extent. Um, but relief, I think knowledge is the key here and acceptance, you know, so a lot of people uh, don't really want to, address it don't want a diagnosis no and, and that's I fine you know yeah I think it's just key to understanding and acceptance and everyone's got different journeys some people don't want to know themselves inside out I think it just so happens that we are very into personal development aren't we mm. um and I think maybe that could be a subject for our next chat um yeah. our trip to see Gabby Bernstein oh my god that was yeah we'll definitely have to talk about that I think um, that that kind of issue around or that concern around judgment, that's definitely been a thing for me. Like I, I've had friends that have not believed my diagnosis. I've had a family member that dismissed my my diagnosis. And that's really difficult to feel like you've almost got to justify like what it is that you've um you know that you've got this diagnosis and why it affects you and I and I still to be honest I still feel like that yeah. now because yeah. and and I you know I've I've thought about that a lot because I thought why do I care 
But then I think when you're somebody that spent your entire life trying to be a version of yourself that is acceptable to other people, I don't think that just goes. I think that fear of judgment actually rolls into a fear of rejection and not being good enough. Like if you if you felt like you were, you know, you weren't good enough or accepted with all of your best masking ability, that fear of like, well, I, I'm now going to be me. And what if I'm rejected or not accepted or judged or treated differently? Um, that's really powerful. And I think that that has definitely and is still a really big challenge. Yeah. Really big. So I can yeah. see how that can affect so many people quite fundamentally. Yeah, because it's it comes down to your core beliefs, doesn't it? Of like you say, not being good enough. So, but now you know we can address what's going on. There yeah. is there is light, but um, there is, and it's exciting. Yeah. And then that comes down to boundaries, though, doesn't it? And perhaps not having the right people in your life because you will have attracted certain people, perhaps uh, you know, as a version of yourself that you presented. But when you really learn self-compassion, self-acceptance, what your needs are, and then have the boundaries and create your life around that, that's really, really powerful. But that's, you know, it's a, it's not a overnight sensation, <laughs> is it? By any um, stretch of the imagination. Sure. Yeah. Oh, Nikki, I'm going to wrap us up there so that um, our lovely viewers uh, can can take away all these golden nuggets of information <laughs> thank you so much for coming on and speaking so openly and honestly i know it's going to really help so many people so um until next time thanks nikki you're so welcome <laughs>